you have to instrument your pipelines, your tools so that these metadata events are emitted in the context of where data gets created, transformed, moved and so on. Hi, everyone. Welcome to HashMap on Tap. I want to thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening to the show today. I am pleased to be joined today by Swaroop Jagadish. Swaroop is co-founder and CTO at Acral Data. So he's been at Acral Data for a short time, founded the company, but did some really cool stuff prior to that. He was at Airbnb from 2014 to 2020. The team that he led really formed the foundation and built some really cool tools like Apache Airflow, Superset, Data Portal, household names almost in the open source space that you guys know today. Uh, he was also responsible for leading development on Airbnb's Knowledge Graph and their search indexing and serving infrastructure. And also interestingly, spent a lot of time on cloud cost efficiency and that particular program at Airbnb. Today with Acral Data, the vision is to bring clarity to your data through a next-gen multi-cloud metadata management platform and a really developer-friendly data catalog. It's going to be interesting to get into with Swaroop. Acral Data's technology is based on LinkedIn's Data Hub and Apache Goblin, two really successful open source projects that were incubated at LinkedIn, and now they are both in production at scale at a lot of enterprises around the world. So, Swaroop, with that introduction, hi, welcome to the show. What are you drinking today? Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for having me here. I'm drinking some freshly brewed cappuccino. It's a pleasure talking to you here today. I, I love a good cappuccino. I don't have one today. Let me ask, on the cappuccino, uh, is that a normal kind of uh, morning drink for you or is it an all-day type thing? It's usually several times a day type of drink. Okay. <laughs> That's what keeps me going. Man, I am right there with you. I, I tend to, I'll get a uh, a regular coffee. I, today I've got, I've got a uh, Nespresso and I'm, I got to say my, my home office now, I, I, I rely on coffee so much. I've actually got a machine right there. So I reach over, get an Nespresso whenever I need it. Definitely depend on it going through. So uh, we'll enjoy the coffees as we talk. Man, you have a very, very impressive background, and I'm, I'm just fascinated by some of the open source projects that you and your team built at, at Airbnb. Why don't you kick it off, Swaroop, take a moment, take us through your background at Airbnb, and then, of course, your role today as co-founder and CTO at Acral Data. Absolutely. So I joined Airbnb in 2014 at a time when the company was growing really well, but the data stack was not quite there and had to be basically built from scratch. So this was the time when I hired and built a team, grew it from like you know, four people to 60 people or so, and you know hired people like Max and others who built Airflow Superset and many other foundational projects. And we built data portal to really solve the data democracy and data discovery challenges at Airbnb. So lived through that hyper growth phase when you know we kind of built several industry-leading tools. And then when the pandemic hit, Airbnb's bookings nosedived and the tone completely changed and it was all about understanding what is valuable and what is not. So that's when I dived into cloud cost efficiency efforts. I was the overall lead for uh, Airbnb's cloud cost efficiency efforts. And that's where having good understanding of how the workloads are 
deriving value and metadata is such a key thing to that. And I'll talk more about it later. I also witnessed data quality and compliance related challenges firsthand before Airbnb went public. So throughout my journey, I've uh, seen the need for a metadata substrate that creates connectivity across everything that we're doing, across multiple use cases, and, uh, multiple tools. So that's really the genesis for uh, actual data. My co-founder, Shishanka, of course, also went through a very similar journey at LinkedIn, founded the Data Hub project to solve very similar issues of data discovery, observability, governance, and compliance. And we both saw a very big gap in the market, a streaming first and a developer-friendly data catalog uh, doesn't exist in the market, right? And LinkedIn was, of course, very supportive of us forming this company. They're an investor in us, and uh, we are driving the open source data hub project in collaboration with LinkedIn. And we're also building a SaaS product, which makes it super easy to consume data hub. So that's kind of the backstory to how Acryl started. That, that's outstanding. For for those in the audience that aren't as familiar with the open source space, and I think Acryl's an Apache 2.0, uh, or sorry, uh, LinkedIn Data Hub's an Apache 2.0 project? That's correct, yeah. That's what I was saying. Take, take, take us through a little bit of that background. What does that mean to be in a, a, patch, a, a full-on Apache 2.0 a project, and I, I've got some background uh, about three and a half years with Hortonworks, uh, you know, similar in terms of working with a lot of the open source projects. But I think a lot of our audience may not be familiar with the open source based approach versus, say, commercial software. How does that work? And how do you kind of take an open source project, move it into an offering like you guys have with Acryl Data? How do you monetize that? Just kind of the background on open source would be great. Absolutely. So, one of the uh, motivating reasons to start open source projects inside of companies is usually for building an engineering brand. That's how it all starts. That's how it started at Airbnb when we open sourced Airflow and similarly at LinkedIn. But then it quickly takes on a life of its own as people uh, adopt it and start to run in their environments and they find new challenges. And then we find the need to generalize it. And, you know, really this community is what makes open source projects special. Of course, the code being open is an important part to it. Everyone can critique it and uh, be very disciplined about making changes and all of that. But the community coming together, we have a massive 1,300 plus community and, you know, getting their input into building product really, really allows us to build product with high precision, high confidence and, uh, you know, continuously validate it in production at scale at several companies. Usually that's very hard for commercial only companies. So that's, I would say a primary differentiator. And then of course, every project has its own, has its own qualities in terms of the personas mm -hmm. that are adopting the project, right? In our case, people are more interested in the use cases and the use usage side of it. People do contribute a lot. We have hundred plus contributors to the project, wow. but it's really important that we make the consumption of this be really simple because a lot of our, a lot of the people in our community are more platform teams and more adopters to make it be available to their users. And there, I think, you know, tooling and making it, making sure it works in cloud native environments and that last mile of making it be delightful really matters. Mm. Uh, and then, and then this is, really efficient for people to evaluate and actually come to conclusion about are they getting value out of it before they even engage a commercial 
company. And so by the time people come to us, they've gone through all that vetting and validation. It's just straightforward conversation about, hey, this is what you get in addition to what is there in the open source when you consume the SaaS product. So that's I would that that's that's what I would say about building open source and community led companies. No, that's that's fantastic. I, you know, you you mentioned a number of I don't know I guess I'll say product categories or areas uh, early on. You talked about data catalog, metadata management, data governance, lineage, etc. What is there is there a particular product category that you'd put actual data in today, and and maybe describe that? Why would you put actual data into that category? And the reason here's the reason I asked. A little more background. I think it is a it's right now it seems to be a bit of a maybe it's confusing, a little bit of a fragmented market. Everybody says they're doing, you know, I'm doing discoverability, I'm doing observability, I'm doing, you know, all these things. Where do you put actual data in? What what area are you are you really focused in? Yeah, I mean, first thing from a ecosystem perspective, yeah. it's hyper fragmented, right? Yeah. There's so much specialization. And uh, I mean, in, in some ways, it is good because you see a lot of innovation in each of these categories. Uh, but the customers really are hurting in terms of making sure there is consistency in how they do data management, how they get visibility into everything. And this hyper-specialization is really hurting the customer. So uh, in terms of uh, how we would describe ourselves, so we have to meet people where they are before we start saying how we are truly different. So that's why we describe ourselves as a streaming first and developer-friendly data catalog. Right. So in terms of the use cases that we are mainly addressing, it's data discovery, data observability, and a data ops approach to governance. Not the old school process heavy approach to governance, but a more data ops approach to uh, governance. So the data catalog and metadata management category, as you rightly said, has existed for a while. It's not new, but there's nothing out there which actually takes a you know streaming first and a developer friendly approach to this category. I can get into it in more detail as we speak, but that's really how yeah. we differentiate us. Yeah, no, that that's interesting. Now, so take take me through. So, a data ops approach versus, say, a traditional approach to governance. Can you can you compare and contrast the tradition, maybe the traditional approach, the the ones that we've we've known and seen over the years, versus this data ops based approach to governance? Right, right. I think the the ideas and the intentions behind a central governance model they're all they're all fine. It's just the implementation which really struggles to keep pace with the diversity and the scale of the modern data ecosystem, right? So the spreadsheet-based approach of tracking the health of each data set and data stewards going and checking on status from each of the groups and coming back and running large programs which run for multiple years, that's just not happening, right? That's just breaking down. So the what is happening now is more the so-called shift left movement where at the time of checking in your schemas, you make sure that it has the desired characteristics that the central team has mandated. So Saxo Bank in our community, for example, is saying that, you know, there should be minimum coverage of business glossary terms attached to the schemas before it is checked in and your GitOps pipeline actually validates that. And then, you know, when you're uh, doing classification of data sets into gold, silver, bronze, or whatever, each company calls it differently, how can you do it more based on a centrally defined rubric and using automation rather than people going into UI and clicking buttons and whatnot? So this clean room approach of saying, I don't want, I want to pretend that there's no mess out there and I'll just 
take a clean room approach is not going to work. A more metrics driven kind of embrace, or we call it confront the mess, confront the mess, get a baseline of how you're doing using metrics and then use automation to drive up the health of your data ecosystem. And there are some very concrete workflows there, so I can describe more, but that's that's the essential difference there. No, it, it sounds like a very practical approach. I think the other way that you talked about, maybe the more traditional way or the way that we've seen is, is just really, really difficult to actually put it into a practical working model that we get value out of. And I think I think you, you said really well, you know, this is this is basically embracing the fact that this is really difficult to do. We're going to kind of acknowledge that up front and, and take a more practical approach with it, which I find really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we see repeatedly in our community that that is much more sustainable and actually much more measurable in terms of running large programs. And, and you know, if you couple that with deep metadata analytics, that gives you visibility about specific problem areas, you get outsized returns for your investment. Yeah. And I, I think what you talked about to me, that's why you're, again, I'll say the traditional data catalogs and data governance tools have had such a difficult time living up to the potential, living up to the vision of what everyone promises when you come in, hey, deploy this tool and it's going to be wonderful. It's just extremely difficult to do that because of all those reasons that you described. Yeah, absolutely. So, so where is... Again, this you talked a little bit about this, this I'll call it almost this intersection of catalogs, governance, observability, metadata management. It, are there, should, should, should we be thinking of those? I just had this conversation with my team. Should we be thinking of these as separate categories, Swaroop, or should we combine this together in one category and say, hey, Here's everyone that operates in this, and there's some there's some overlap and there's some crossover. What's the best way to think about this grouping of functionality and capabilities today? Yeah, this is a very good question, right? So there's the danger that the data catalog kind of becomes this multi-headed monster that tries to solve everything. But at the same time, you cannot get much done without really good metadata substrate that is powering multiple use cases. So that's the trade-off here, right? And I think the answer lies in interoperability with tools. Like, mm. you know, you you need the catalog to be good at a few things, but then also make sure every tool in the data ecosystem is being held accountable in terms of interoperability. Vendors are getting away with, you know, just locking up their metadata and making it really impossible to interoperate with it. I think customers are starting to demand that this interoperability is a primary requirement. I'll give you an example, right? We find that uh, with our design partners, data classification, data, data governance, they're all related, right? And mm. of course the data catalog will not go and solve data classification problems, but the classification tools out there, classification vendors have to be, the contract for them should be the business glossary that the customer defines and you, publish terms from that business glossary in a very data ops friendly manner to the catalog. And then if the catalog is built on good principles of change management, like you know, triggering workflows in response to changes, like a column has a classification term attached, you go trigger this business workflow. Suddenly you get this nice interoperability and metadata is free flowing 
and the catalog also covers a few key use cases, sometimes through interop and sometimes on its own. I think that's where the answer is. So I think the customer platform teams are demanding a more consistent approach to mm-hmm. observability and uh, governance because these are cross-cutting concerns and it doesn't make sense to verticalize them essentially. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to do an analysis of, of those capabilities and who's in the market for those capabilities and who could potentially provide those, I'm a, I'm, maybe I'm an enterprise client or, or, or a startup and I, I know I need these. Would you, would, would your approach be then, to, how would, how would you approach that maybe is, is what I, I don't want to lead you with an answer there, but would you look at it as far as let me take the various capabilities and then fit tools and technologies in fit approaches in or, or would you would you sort of kind of combine those together I, the reason i'm asking is we're looking at potentially taking that on as another bit of analysis and developing a perspective around and I, I think you're you're so close to this it'd be interesting to see how would you do it if you had that same remit so first thing is you know you need to kind of put together the map irrespective mm. of which vendor is doing it what is the map Right. So imagine the Google map, you know, you're first putting together all the different destinations and the routes connecting them. So what that in practice involves is collection of really high quality metadata from every source in a really comprehensive manner across API services, your ingestion pipelines, machine learning models, data set, what have you just get it all in. And the next thing is imagine the the Google maps traffic lines like the red green yellow you need to kind of populate that like which is operational metadata right freshness of data completeness schema changes over time data profile changes over time so and it's it's not necessary that all these signals come from a single tool you have to collect all this by integrating all these tools into your operational fabric this is not something where you do after the fact a couple of days later and using human methods you have to instrument your pipelines your tools so that these metadata events are emitted in the context of where data gets created transformed moved and so on right so once you have this map at at that point you can start to think about hey what are the business workflows that i need to drive for each of those use cases so i think creating those two phases in terms of how you plan your execution would be super useful because often people end up with a fragmented map and then you know you're back to you're back to like solving these problems multiple times right so that's that, i think where the challenge is that is that is great advice i, I love that i'm definitely going to pass that along to the team hey let me ask you we are we're starting to see as a topic more and more this this concept this idea of data mesh and I would be really curious because I read a couple of articles where you guys were mentioned in essentially in the same breath as data mesh, acral data and, and kind of enabling that data mesh concept. Can you tell me what are your thoughts on data mesh as a concept, as, you know, kind of on almost this, I don't want to say it's, it's brand new, but but this, you know, the idea that I've got. I've got this proliferation of data sources out there that somehow I've got to connect together and not make this difficult. You used to use the word earlier I love. You said, how can I create a delightful experience? How is data mesh as a concept and, and how does Data Hub fit into that in your opinion? 
in my view, data mesh is a response to this uh, kind of almost defeatist approach of, hey, we just got to, we just have this mesh, we have to live with it and just make the best out of it and reconcile and throw humans at the problem. Data mesh is a response to that and say, no, 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 we can do better than this. Uh, you can actually shift more responsibility towards data producers in a highly complex and federated environment. You can actually use domains as a natural unit of abstraction. And this concept of data products, how can raw data assets graduate into data products? And how do we make that, how do we codify that more and use automation to drive the certification of data products at scale? I think that those concepts we are very aligned with in data, data hub. That's why we are supporting domains as a natural, as a native thing in our metadata models. And we are currently working with our community to model data products and our federated deployment model where, you know, you can run these agents, the metadata collection agents uh, in a federated manner in each of these domains separately. Often we find that companies acquire other companies and there's this huge conglomerates and having the ability to treat those domains as logical units and not force them into like one oh. central system is a very important thing. So keeping that federation, but still having the ability to centrally codify what are your governance policies? What, what determines when a data asset goes in, uh, and becomes a data product? And how does it become discoverable in this mesh automatically, right? Once it graduates, it should become discoverable and you should have deep analytics about how each domain is doing. So we are very aligned with this philosophy and that's why we see a lot of pull into data mesh implementations, Saxo Bank, Volt and others have presented their case studies in our town halls and central teams find that finally we can put in place a more sustainable practice data hub as the, as the metadata substrate. Yeah, really interesting. And so I heard you talk this, I guess I'll, I'll term it the specificity where you've got, I've got domains. You, you also talked about, we've, we've used the term data as an asset for so long. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's this overall consolidation of data into one place, but you talked about data as a product versus data, data asset, data product real quick, dive into that just for, you know, maybe somebody that's not familiar why should I be thinking about data as a product versus just having my data asset? Yeah, yeah. I mean, th this terminology uh, is, you know, due, uh, due credit to Jamak and others from uh, the data mesh movement. Uh, so the, the real difference is you're stating upfront what are the best practices that allow a raw data asset to graduate into a data product. So a few things. First, how, what are the ways to access it? You know, it can be a stream, it can be a table, it can be uh, a Kafka topic. All of them need to publish uniform ways of discoverability and the way to access it. Second, you need to declare certain key attributes like ownership or governance attributes, like the number of data quality checks that have been run against it. So when you're looking at it, you can consume it with high confidence, right? Uh, you, you know how to access it, you know uh, who owns it, you know the key health indicators of that, which, and it, this is not a one-time assessment, it's something that mm -hmm. is kept live through continuous automation. So it's almost like a heartbeat. So when you look at it, 
you know that your not only humans but also your tools can consume it safely and so that's the key distinction whereas a, a data asset is like you know best effort you're on your own consume mm-hmm. it uh, type of a contract yeah so Oh, that's great. And you had mentioned, I would picked up, you said that you had a, a client or two that's actually presented on your town hall. Interested in that, um, because I don't know that I've I've heard that recently. And uh, I got to imagine that was pretty well received by the group. How, how did that go when your clients presented on the town hall? Oh, excellent. It's uh, yeah. cited very, very frequently. Like Saxo Bank even followed it up with a blog post. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So there's a, yeah, I, I can put references uh, into your podcast later on that people can look into. Yeah. Uh, that, that We would love to link that up. So so talk about that. So who makes the ideal actual data customer today? Yeah, so, you know, we are very uh, aligned with customers who recognize that you need a stream first and automation heavy to uh, automation heavy approach to data management. That's the only way to keep up with the scale, velocity, and fragmentation of the modern data stack. Um, so um, we tend not to do well with people who still favor the old process-heavy approaches to this, right? We also uh, do really well with um, uh, you know this approach of uh, reacting to changes using automated actions, much like GitHub actions, right? Like on Git, if you check in something, there's a bunch of actions that run. So people who recognize that it's not just enough to make sure good metadata gets in and it's all consistent, but also you're using that to drive business workflows using automation. So that is our sweet spot in terms of uh, solving all these use cases, data discovery, observability, and governance. I, I love it. Define for me, you've talked about it a couple of times. I haven't dug into it. Define for me stream first. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, so Data Hub is built on top of Kafka as a substrate, right? So Kafka is already proven to create this connectivity across the entire enterprise, especially if you're on different domains. The way you push data across domains is well-known Right now, Kafka enables that. Similarly, we believe metadata should also be pushed in as much as possible. Of course, we should also allow for pull, right? Because uh-huh. there's there's always going to be data sources where met- metadata is just you know locked up, and we need to go and crawl it out. But as much as possible, stream it in where the action is happening, right? Like when the airflow pipeline runs, emit those events, emit those lineage edges, so you're observing a live view of your data ecosystem, not what happened a few days ago, oh. right? So that's the first thing. Second, uh, take action close as close to real uh, in real time as possible. So for example, a PII got attribute got attached to a column, right? Your data classification tool sent this classification. What do you do with that? You probably want to act as quickly as possible to lock down access to it or to run anonymization or whatever workflow you, you want, right? The mm-hmm. other approach that comes up is data quality, right? You observe that the data profile for an upstream dependency has shifted by more than 25%, like the row count is off by more than 25%. What do you do with that information? You should go and trigger a workflow that potentially runs more checks or even halts downstream pipelines instead of just continuing to run and produce bad data. So all of this is about how closely integrated 
you are into the operational fabric and not not just be pure human facing in terms of how you approach the catalog. The catalog should serve both humans and systems, right? And when you want to serve systems, you want to be as close to real time as possible. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. What about in terms of how Acryl data delivers that that combined experience? Is it is it something that um, is there an as a service offering today that that you guys have? What how how can I how can I take advantage of what Acryl data brings to the market today? Yeah, so we uh, we continue to build everything in the open. You know, we are the main maintainers of the open source project. And we are a very community first company. So we are always happy to enable companies in the open source, even if they don't have a commercial relationship with us, we want to enable them to be successful. We want data to be out there everywhere, right? Uh, second, we also offer a SaaS product, right? The SaaS product, in addition to making it easy to consume, offers a few things that are only possible in a, in a SaaS product, right? Much better search ranking and recommendations things that you need data to learn from and so on, right? And intelligence capabilities that I talked about, deep metadata mm -hmm. analytics that allows central teams to take action in problem spots, right? A percentage of data sets that have ownership issues, percentage of data sets that have data quality issues, nicely summarized, broken down by team, broken down by platform. These things are insanely valuable, right? Mm -hmm. Second, actions, right? How can you run automated actions in response to interesting events like the schema changed or the data profile changed or a classification attribute changed these are all really interesting events and you should be able to register actions and run them automatically that's what the SaaS product allows you to do and we come pre-packaged with a bunch bunch of actions right and the last thing is more classic enterprise readiness disaster recovery audit logs having the ability to do role-based access control, single sign-on. All of these things are in the SaaS product and you know we are able to deploy it in a couple of modes, one where we run it entirely on our side and you just deploy the agents. The second is you know, the so-called control plane, data plane model where the metadata services actually reside in your account and we run more the, uh, the administrative side of it. Now, those are some great, uh, great features, and it sounds like multiple options for deployment, which is really good. Let me ask you, with the with the clients that you have today, Swarup, have have you had that really unique moment where you said, "Okay, we're we're doing something right here. This is the direction that we want to go." Kind of that aha moment when you knew that you were onto something big. Yeah. So uh, first of all, our community has quadrupled since we started. Wow. Right. So once we started this community-led product development, actively polling, publishing our roadmap in the open, and actually building these features. We went from 300 odd to 1,300 odd since we started, right? So that itself is a, a really energizing thing for us to be able to work with these really vibrant uh, enthusiasts who bring in so many ideas. Is that just Second, in, a, in about, a, about a year? Yeah, yeah, since we started. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's been really energizing for us. Second, you know, we find that our philosophy of this automation-heavy developer-led approach to uh, all these use cases is actually resonating, right? Uh, we were kind of uh, watchful initially, but then once we started a few of these deployments, actually 
deliver value. And developers actually went and hacked our APIs to uh, make even other tools consume this metadata and do even more interesting and unexpected things. We saw that, hey, something special is happening Mm. here. And the community is in many ways ahead of us. uh, And we are catching up and bringing that to the product. Well, you, I, I noticed that uh, that you guys raised a round of seed funding, uh, about $9 million, just back in June. And just in general, I know you can't give a lot of specifics, but it'd be really interesting to know, you know, where are you today with, with Acral Data? Where do you see things going? Just anything that you can provide in terms of the types of customers that you're going after, you know, where's your employee growth going? Any kind of Funding strategy is always a challenge. You know, where are you going with that? Any anything like that that that's uh, would be interesting to the audience, just to kind of get a picture of here's where Acquil is today, and and here's where they're going. Absolutely. So we actually raised our seed funding early in the year, and we only announced it in June. Um, so in terms of how we operate, like I said, we are very community first, uh, but we also have our SaaS product, which is currently in private beta. We have several mid market customers that are currently using the product and giving us very high quality product feedback. We also have a few large enterprise customers that are working with us closely as design partners. So that's where we are. Uh, Our goal is to keep using the word delightful. Um, I mean, going back to my Airbnb days, there's a few Brian Chesky uh, truisms that that, that, that resonate with me so much. So one of the things that he frequently said is, love creates growth not the other way around Mm. so really make your product lovable and that's what creates growth if you go chasing growth you can't fix love later and then the second thing he used to keep saying is you know your customers put you out of business not your competitors so don't worry so much about what others are doing focus on product build differentiation and be very close to feedback and you know internalize it and that's where i think we are really spending our time. In terms of the team itself, we have 10 people currently on board, engineers. We have a community manager, Maggie, who just joined us recently. I'm so excited that she's going to propel us towards this next wave of community growth. We have a business operations lead. So that's where we are. In terms of uh, growth, uh, we look into uh, sales and marketing type hires next year once the product is ready. It's out of private beta, essentially. Oh, that's really interesting. In terms of your customers, do I have to be, and I, I think we got introduced to each other through not, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a, it's a, you know, their product is data for sure. So my guess is that certainly if, if I'm a company where my product is data or I'm a more traditional enterprise where data is just really critical to my business, is actual data going to, you know, be attractive to all types of enterprises like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think okay. we believe in being injected into the data strategy of many of these companies. And like I said, maybe consuming the SaaS product is not the right fit for everyone out there, but we are more than happy to collaborate and be part of that data strategy. Okay. Well, that's interesting. What, and again, you guys, you know, don't have that long in the market so far, but maybe just talk real quick, a little bit of a different topic as well. Just and it's a small team so far, as you mentioned, but, you know, where, where do you see your go, yourselves going in terms of kind of that growth trajectory? You're going to, sounds like you're going to add more folks in, maybe add some additional capital along the way, but it sounds like you're doing it in a way that is not so much worried about this 
large base of competition out there, or maybe it's a small base. I don't know how you term it, but you're more focused on let's help these customers be successful. That customer success will drive the growth. With the amount of investment and funding coming into the data space, I, I would imagine that you've got your eye on some things sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always good to be tuned into what the market is doing when it comes to funding and so on. We have raised a, a reasonably large round, so we're not, you know, we're always kind of open to strategic opportunities. Uh, yeah. But in terms of the focus areas for us, growing the community, you know, we want to really grow this community to 5,000 people, 10,000 people, something special happens as you encounter these exponential growth stages in the community. And we've already seen the outsized impact it has on our product development capabilities and so on, right? So uh, take, doing that requires patience on the part of investors. And we've seen this play out before, you know, Kafka and Confluent. And it's not like we're the first ones to be doing this, but it does require investors who are more strategic and can see that playing out and the, the growth will come naturally. So you have to make people love the product, right? So I think, you know, next year we're going to grow the team even more and we'll be looking out for strategic partners during their journey. Definitely keep an eye on what Maggie is doing in, uh, in your, on your community team to help, help grow that. As you're looking at growing the engineering team, anything that, you know, when you're hiring a new engineer, anything that you particularly look for to, to make up that ideal hire for Acryl? Yeah, I mean, this is a very complex and exciting space, right? So obviously domain knowledge and having the chops to take on this complexity is super important. Uh, and you know, I have some experience with it in growing large engineering teams at Airbnb and other companies before. But I, I think there's, there's other qualities that are needed at this stage of the company. Grit, being able to power through the ups and downs and having the tenacity and really bringing this community first mindset to how we build things, having a very product, product heavy approach to how you operate. These are some intangible qualities that really make the culture of the company at this stage of the uh, company. So that, those are qualities that I look for. It's interesting that you mentioned that community first mindset for the engineering team, because I know when I was at Hortonworks, that was the sense that I always got is that the community was more important than the company. And I'm hearing you say the same thing. If we do community right, if the engineering team, uh, the, the community team are all focused on building that community and doing really, really cool things that our customers that your customers can take advantage of, everything else will kind of flow from there and take care of itself. Yes, yes. You need patience, but it'll it'll happen with a lot more predictability and precision. But that approach is really important. Who who has done, in your opinion, who has done community open source community building the right way? I know you mentioned uh, Kafka and Confluent earlier. Any any two or three companies out there that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, in the uh, in the recent days, obviously DBT Labs has built a, an amazing community. Uh, I mean, you go into their Slack channel and. It's not just about DBT. It's really about questions related to data modeling, and you know, it's it's about data. Really, so I think they've built a spectacular community. There are a few other companies out there. I mean, in the past, you know, you know, Spark and others have built good communities, yeah. but DBT Labs really stands out in the current scene. 
I would agree. I, I almost can't keep up with the the DBT community. Every time I go out to the to the main uh, Slack channel, it, it's showing right now they're over eighteen thousand community members. Yeah. And every time they make an announcement, it's like, okay, let me update the next day. Just amazing uh, the the job that they've they've done. I would agree with that. So I know it hadn't been a long time, but anything that stands out to you, Swarup, as, as what you have been most proud of so far at, at Aquil Data in your role? I mean, is it is it a particular thing that a customer has said to you? Is it a particular achievement for the engineering team, particular thing that the community together has done to deliver something? What, what are you most proud of so far? So I'll split it into three areas. One, community. Second is technology. And third is more the customer side, right? On the community side, other than just the sheer growth of the community, you know, there are monthly town halls which are attended by more than 75 people and and the engagement. Other than that, I'm really, really proud of the contributions that have gone up and the fact that the community is jumping in to help each other and the high quality documentation and the quick start uh, all these things that we have put together, it it really makes anyone, it, it really makes it easy to get started with Data Hub in less than an hour and get like real value out of it at production scale. And we've invested a lot of time into making it be super easy to consume. And I'm really proud that people are coming back and telling us, hey, this thing is amazing, right? So that's on the community side. Uh-huh. And on the... Technology side, we've done a few really foundational things that I'm really proud of. For one, we've made the metadata model itself be super extensible, and we call this no-code metadata, where uh, you don't have to extend the model and and write declare, imperative code about how to write to these models, how to consume APIs. It's just you know, all declarative and just just happens out of the box. This is really important for companies that don't necessarily want to expose their proprietary metadata models into the open source, right? So uh-huh. uh, without forking Data Hub, how can you accomplish this? That's really important. Second thing that I'm really proud of is we've built the platform to have the capability to ingest time series metadata. Now, this is very, this is fundamentally different from other types of metadata, right? If you have to be good at operational metadata, you have to be able to ingest these signals that are coming in every minute, every uh, every few seconds, and actually be able to answer high-level questions about it. So having the platform capability to do it in a short time, I'm really proud of. How, uh, let me ask you on that. How did you determine up front that you said, I want to be able to comprehend time series metadata upon ingest as part of actual data. Why the decision to do that? What was driving it? Yeah, and we, I mean, part of this is our own learning from our past lives, Shrishanka, and I've seen the story play out that people start with technical and business metadata, but then very soon you need operational metadata. It's like that heartbeat. Even for data discovery, when you're looking at something, you need to look at that heartbeat and how it has done over time to be able to trust it, right? Uh, so that's the, and then like data quality, I've seen it play out too. So yeah. uh, I think that's why we decided that this is like a fundamental capability to build into the platform. Cool. Cool. And then, so community technology, anything on the customer side that, uh, yeah. that kind of stands out? Yeah. 
Yeah, customer side, I would say, uh, you know, I'm proud of our execution. Uh, mm. The fact that we've listened to the feedback and acted quickly and, you know, we've quickly developed these different deployment models, which are actually quite complex to pull off in a short amount of time. And the fact that we have not been scared to put something imperfect out there, get feedback early and iterate, uh, I would say that's been really good. Yeah. Hey, when you were, I meant to ask this earlier as you were talking about your experience at Airbnb, but going from a very successful enterprise, Airbnb, starting starting something new, anything that almost kept you from from making the leap into Acral Data as a startup that you go, yeah, we're, we're, I've got this huge team at Airbnb. I can almost create anything that I want here. And I'm kind of starting from scratch. Any, anything that almost kept you from making that leap? So last year was a, you know, a little bit of a soul searching moment for all of mm. us, right? 2020, when the pandemic happened, you know, you had to kind of take stock of all your priorities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a travel company, I saw the big ups and downs that Airbnb itself went through, right? And I actually wasn't sure how it's going to play out in the data ecosystem, right? What will be really top of mind for people? Will people actually draw back and just consolidate and wait for things to blow over before they start new investments? And for a while, mm -hmm. I had like my doubts about that. Yeah. But then, you know, it just, the response actually blew, blew me away. The fact that so many cloud migrations accelerated and, you know, the fact that People are just doubling down on all these investments. And uh, when I saw all that, I think all my doubts disappeared. Uh, I think the uh, the way work is done now is just fundamentally different. And you have just to, you have to just embrace that. Yeah, uh, that's great. Anything that you would like our, to give visibility to maybe uh, to our audience, something that you haven't talked about yet? It could be... Uh, you know, particular you know side project could be some advice any anything at all that you'd like to give some visibility to I'm happy to link it up by the way in the show notes too yeah so uh, i would say in addition to what we are building at acryl we're also big on bringing the best practitioners in this space and forming uh, forming these uh, high level principles that everyone can debate about and come to conclusions about. So mm. we run these events called Metadata Day, and we've, mm. we've had two such uh, events so far. One happened late last year, and the other one happened early this year. The, the other one is going to happen again late this year. We brought in a real specialists like Joe Hellerstein, who's a professor at UC Berkeley, and Phil Bernstein, you know, he's like a, a legend in the field of databases. and you know, several big names and practitioners and we come together. Last time the theme was about data mesh and mm -hmm. metadata. So, you know, so, so I would definitely call that out as something that people should look out for. We're going to, we're going to publish more details soon. That's great. Yeah. If you've got a link, happy to put that into the show notes. Sounds like a great opportunity for everyone to, to dig in a little bit more uh, to what you guys are doing and how you're contributing to the, another great way of contributing to the community. Yeah, this has been fantastic, Swaroop. Before we wrap up, are you open to doing a lightning round? A couple of quick, easy, these are easy layup questions. Sure, yeah. All right, all right. Technology, a technology that you cannot live without in your role at Acral Data. Yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be the obvious answer, unfortunately, Slack. I think yeah. it's, it's the lifeblood of remote work and even how our community operates. 
So cannot I, live without Slack. I, I love it. I, I sent you a, a Slack Direct Connect and I the same. I, I just don't know how we would do what we do today with internally with customers, with partners without having Slack there. Huge fan. What about you're you're in the Bay Area, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And you have a favorite either cook at home meal or takeout delivery meal when you're when you're there. Yeah, there's so many favorites. I would say, you know, Burmese food is my is is one of my favorites. And there's a place out here in Burlingame called Mingalaba. That's my favorite spot to order oh, nice. takeout. Yeah. Very nice. Are you you're pretty close to Burlingame then? I'm in San Mateo. Yeah. San yeah, I was. Uh, I worked for Oracle for ten years, just right down the road in uh, Redwood Shores. Do you yeah, favorite spot in the Bay Area? In the Bay Area, I mean, Marine driving up to Marine and yeah, doing all those hikes is, is is amazing. So it is. Yeah, yeah. some incredible. Um, just the the size of the the redwoods and everything up there is incredible. Yeah. What yeah. about it, when you want to unplug from tech for a little while? Do you have a favorite thing that you do and you go, okay, I'm going to leave my phone, leave my laptop, not take any, anything like that. What do you unplug with? Uh, I'm actually trained in South Indian classical music. So I, I still take lessons and I sing here and there in terms of performances and so on. So that's what I do when I'm not doing tech. Oh, really nice. If if somebody's got an event coming up, maybe they can reach out. I like it. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. it. What, <laughs> I'll what throw about... in some data along with classical music. <laughs> That's right. They, they go hand in hand. What about, last question, uh, another company uh, that you are keeping your eye on right now, you go, wow, those, and we talked about DBT Labs earlier, but it, maybe that's it. Another company that you're watching closely right now, you love what they're doing and uh, really interested in, in seeing how it plays out with them. Yeah, I think obviously DBT Labs, I think they're doing really interesting things. But in addition, in the ML space, I'm keenly looking into the emerging areas there. I think some of it is uh, emerging. Some of it is already here. Mm -hmm. Looking into companies like Snarkel, there's Sisu Data. There's a bunch of uh, company fiddler. They're all doing really interesting things in terms of making that field be a lot more rigorous and engineering like uh, than the wild west that existed before I, I will have to check them out love it well it, it has been a lot of fun having you join the show today and i'm, I'm looking forward to keeping up with everything going on in acral data swoop thank you so much for coming in today absolutely it was a pleasure chatting with you Kelly. thanks for yeah. having me over Oh, you're you're very welcome. And, and thanks to everyone that listened in. We appreciate everybody. We'd encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Visit hashmapping.com. Any feedback or comments are always welcome as well. And we'll see you soon on another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap ONTAP page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.